We're in the book of Genesis, so take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 41. We made it through uh, some, about halfway through that chapter. We'll try to finish that tonight as we study the life of Joseph. We watch the, this great redemptive theme carry through this, this book that covers a massive amount of time. God is in this. He is, he is ultimately protecting the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to come through these sons of Jacob, particularly through Judah. He's at work and um, amazing things. But he chooses to use people. He always has. He uses people to further the kingdom of God. He uses people to spread his message and do his will. And Joseph is a great example of that. So let's pray and we will look into this again tonight. Father, thank you for a chance to sing songs to you. We, we love to praise you with our lips. Hopefully, Lord, that comes from our hearts and we and we do really believe that you're all we have. We do not look to another. We don't even look to ourselves to provide salvation. Our good works would get us nothing. We look to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what a joy to sing that together. And then to know that we have the Bible, God's word right in front of us. All that we need to know. There'll be nothing added to this. It is sufficient. We don't look for more dreams and visions and other communications from God. He has given us his word, and we trust this. And so, Lord, as we study it, may we know you greater. May we be challenged to be like a Joseph, those who followed you, who would not compromise on the truth, but lovingly obeyed you. So, Lord, teach us great things about yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As you remember, we were looking. We started in Hebrews. I mean, excuse me, Genesis chapter forty-one. It is a long chapter. We got about halfway through it. We entitled the sermon "A Slave of God and the Freedom to Serve Him." Joseph was such a lesson of going through difficult trials, not knowing how it's all going to turn out, but serving anyway. That that's that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To, to know that God has promised you something, you don't know how it's going to turn out, and in the circumstances you're in, it seems impossible for it to come. And yet, you keep serving the Lord. This is what Joseph has done. Remember in verse 1, we see that he had been forgotten. He had given the dreams to the cupbearer and the baker, and they had forgotten him. And uh, it, the Bible says two full years later. And last week we talked about waiting on God's timing. We looked at several Psalms and then worked our way in the New Testament just thinking about that aspect and, uh, of waiting on the Lord, realizing that He has a goal, He has a plan for each of our lives, and yet it doesn't always fulfill out the way we want. But being ones who uh, hold to our calling, hold to what God has called us despite the circumstances that are going on. And then he was, we saw that this dream, this Pharaoh has this dream. He knows it's important, but he doesn't understand it. In fact, he knows it has something to do with the nation that he is overseeing, that he is king and Pharaoh of, and yet he cannot figure it out. And so, as you remember, he calls all of his wise men and magicians, and none of them can figure out what this dream is. And that's when the cupbearer finally goes, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about a guy. And I promised I'd tell, tell you about him. Two years later, now he begins to say, hey, there was a young Hebrew slave in the prison that you put us in, king. And he told us interpretation of our dreams, and he nailed them. It was quickly after that, as you remember, Pharaoh calls for Joseph. They pull him out of the prison. There they clean him up, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And his words are astounding. Right off the bat, he says, it's not me who will give the interpretation. God has, uses actually a past term, term Hebrew verb there, has given the interpretation of it. So he was confident that God was going to share the truth with Pharaoh through him. And we realize that the, the, the magicians and the uh, wise men, the men of these diviners, they did not know the true and living God. And so the truth was hidden from them. We reminded ourselves that's true today. People who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior will look at the Word of God and it does not make sense to them. It is difficult for them to 
understand truth because they're spiritually appraised from that. But Joseph knew the living God. And God had revealed himself to him. And he was confident. And he, like Daniel, believed that God was going to do something. And they wanted to be in that position. The other thought we looked at deeply last week in this text is that young Joseph was not there to exonerate himself. This is very important. Do you remember this? You've been, you've been sold as a slave by your brothers. You've been in Potiphar's house. You've operated and done everything there. You're accused of rape, false accusations, thrown into prison, forgot about by the men you helped get out of prison. Most of us, when given the chance to get before the king, what are we going to do? We're going to set that record right. This is unfair. This is unjust. Uh, before I tell you the interpretation of this dream, you're going to get an earful from me. That's probably what we would do, wouldn't it? And not Joseph. Not, not Joseph. And one of the things we love about this type, he is a, he is a type. He isn't the Christ, but he's a type. We, we see him where he's selfless. Christ did not hang on the cross and said, before I finally give my body and my blood for you, I want to tell you a few things. He's like a lamb sled to the slaughter, making not a word. And Joseph does so similar things. He, he, he has an opportunity. He could have taken advantage of it. Instead, he stands before the king of the, the superpower of the world. And he says, this is what God says. Forget about my past. I'm not here to deal with that. I'm here to tell you what God says. And what incredible integrity. No compromise in Joseph. And then, you remember, the dream was given to him by Pharaoh. He said, this is what I've dreamed. And, of course, he went through the fat cows and the skinny cows eating them up and no change in, in their confirmation. And then, of course, the stalks and the ears of corn and those swallowed up those and there was no change in that. And um, Pharaoh absolutely knew something. this had something to do with the kingdom, but he could not figure it out. And there Joseph said, I'll tell you what it has to do with it. There's a famine coming. But God is going to give you the seven years. Their dreams were one and the same. You remember he said that. And he said the first fat cows and the fat ears of corn, those represent those years of prosperity. There's going to be great, year, great prosperity given to the nation of Egypt. But followed by that is going to come famine that will swallow up every ounce of what you have. Get ready. And then we pick this up um, in verse 33 here now is where we left off. I titled the first thought just rags to riches because here's this young man. I mean, uh, all of the previous hardships he's been through, it's been 13 years since his brothers sold him off the family ranch um, without his dad knowing it. Um, he's, he's blossomed into this young Hebrew, uh, almost a human type savior, Right? He's not this savior, but he's, he is one that is going to, what he is going to do and what God is going to use him in is going to save the world, really, from hunger and from certain death. When you study the story, if that seven years of absolute a starvation type of famine, it'd be countless numbers of people who would have died. And yet Joseph is there. He learned he probably learned much about Egypt as he served in Potiphar's house before he was falsely accused. He had a lot of time to reflect on um, government and life and all the things that were going on as he laid in prison for many years. And now this God-given wisdom is going to flow out of this young man. Look in verse 33 through 37 and let's see what he says. He's already given the interpretation to Pharaoh. And this is where we left off, verse 33. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise. He's not telling him he's him. He's giving clear counsel. Let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him ex exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under the Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. Well, it's an amazing um, 
the, comparis- the, the, excuse me, the compassion that, that he has for this nation. It's not your nation. You're, you're from Canaan. You have a promise from God that your, your family is going to be great and the, and the sands of the sea will not be able to number the offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's uh, kin. And, and, and now you've been sold and you're in this other country. And, and, and when I studied this, I thought, what compassion he has for these people he doesn't even know. In fact, everything about them has been bad. I was sold as a slave. I was accused as a rapist. I've been in their prisons. Why would you want to give them any good news? It's integrity. It's integrity. And Joseph's character shines despite his circumstances. This challenges us, doesn't it? Have you had a circumstance recently where your integrity did not shine? <laughs> I mean, probably going, uh, what's Scott going to bring up? Does he know something? <laughs> Yeah, we have opportunities all the time. Confrontations that happen. People accuse us of something. What happens? What are you going to do with that? And Joseph's such a beautiful teaching. Again, he is like Christ. First Peter chapter 2, we see that Christ is reviled. But the Bible says he reviled not in return. He was threatened, but did not threaten in return, but trusted himself to the one who judges righteously. This is what Joseph did. God empowers us as Christians, especially those, these New Testament Christians, us, who Christ has died for and wiped out our sins, past, present, and future. He empowers us with the strength to reflect him. In fact, that's what the Bible is clear about, is that we now have the character of Christ. We reflect that. So again, it is important to realize when Joseph could have taken advantage of all of this situation, he doesn't. Instead, he holds that priceless truth that God gave him, and he stands on the word of God. Here's what God says. Look at verse 38 through 40. Then Pharaoh said to his servant, Can we find a man like this? Well, just think about what he's looking at right now. He's only cleaned up because they shaved him and gave him some clothes. Just a few minutes before that, he probably looked like he'd been drugged through the mud. But he looks at him and he says, Can we find a man like this in whom a divine spirit now he's thinking, Pharaoh's thinking of his religions. We'll get into this. Some, I'll share some of the gods and stuff that are going on in their world here in a minute, minute. But he's just thinking this guy's got some kind of divine God in him. Nobody can do what he said, what he just did. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, your God, your living God that you've told me about, there is no one so discerning as wise as you. And you shall be over my house. This isn't any, he's, he's not asking at this point. Do you see this? <laughs> you shall be over my house according to all your command. Uh, according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring and from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments and fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. He's just out of prison. <laughs> and he's wearing Egyptian cotton now. Verse 43, he had him ride in the second chariot. He's in the limo now. And they proclaimed him before him, bow the knee. He was probably cleaning toilet pots. Earlier in the day. And now it's proclaimed, bow the knee to him. And he set him over all, all the land of Egypt. And moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall rise his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. What a turnaround. I know the prosperity people love to try to run this. This is just God doing what God designs to do. And... and Joseph did what he was supposed to do, and, and this, is, this is the plan of God. And, and never forget, as we study that you cannot forget what this is all about. This is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Joseph is a forerunner to that. He is out in front. God's using him to plow away, to get Goshen, the land of Goshen, ready for the 70 people, Jacob and his sons and daughters, um, and, and kids to come in and live within that, be protected in the land of Egypt. There, then be freed by the great uh, release that God comes and takes them out of that. And eventually, the Messiah will come out of that group. So we don't ever want to lose our view of that. But what a turnaround, isn't it? 13 years of slavery and imprisonment, and suddenly he's riding in the capital city parade, 
behind Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth. And this public display of power and authority and Pharaoh's permission to rule over every facet of the Egyptian life was God-given, and Joseph knew it. He knew God gave him this opportunity. And only Pharaoh could overrule him. And now Joseph... Joseph Zephranath um, Pinea, this is a Egyptian name, and he gave him Azina, the daughter of Potiphar, a different Potiphar, priest of On as his wife, and Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. So he's given this Egyptian name. It's an interesting name as you go back. The Hebrew, you study the Hebrew, we can look what the Hebrew was, but it wasn't a Hebrew name. So the best thing that most most guys have looked at trying to understand what this name meant. Um, it, it had several things, and let me just see what, what I studied to find out. It said, they said one, one possible meaning that this name that the Pharaoh gave meant one who gives abundance of life. It, it also could have meant savior of the world, revealer of secrets, speaker of God, flourisher of substance. So these were terms that that name meant at some, some way. Um, and again, uh, it's a language that isn't um, recorded uh, for us. It's recorded in Hebrew, of course, now. Um, the, Joseph is also given Asina, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. And, and On was a, an Egyptian name of a city at Hippolyrus, which was one of their major cities back then. And, and it was probably one of the oldest Egyptian cities of ancient Egypt there. And, and today, I, I looked it up, Samir, and if George here, our dear Egyptian brothers here, it's in the northeast corner of what's Cairo now, where this was. Um, and, and so you can, can kind of get an idea where it is when you look at the map. Athena uh, was named for an Egyptian god called the God of Truth, which, which is really interesting. So God gives Joseph this, this Egyptian wife who's named after the God of Truth. I thought that was interesting. Um, and, and yet, I want to make sure that although we see that Joseph, he never compromises in his worship to Elohim, and yet he, he seems to adapt extremely well to Egyptian culture. He's now married to an Egyptian woman. He, speaks, he learns to speak their language clearly. He's a very talented young man. Um, and whatever else it took to become a national Egyptian leader. It wasn't like he, and certainly he's been, in, he's been in Egypt for 13 years now, so he probably knows the language, but he had to be a brilliant young man because he not only now has to give commands and lead legions of people, right? Um, he has to speak in their culture, has to understand their culture in order to accomplish this massive ta- tax of saving the world from starving to death. So God endows him with everything he needs to accomplish it. And it's such a reminder. Um, I was talking to somebody this week or last week, and they were saying, did you know you are going to be a preacher when you were young? I said, I couldn't even talk straight. I couldn't read in public. I, I, I was as dyslexic as you can be. I'd flip words around so quickly. And yet, when God calls you to do something, he endows you with the strength to do it if you'll, if you'll work and do your side of it. And so don't be afraid when God says, you know in your heart, God's asking you to get involved with something. You go, oh, I, I, I don't, I'm not an upfront person or I don't do this or that. God helps you do those things. And here's, here's the um, second to last born of, of Jacob who has gone through such traumatic do you think you know what they would label this kid? Well, man, this kid's got all kinds of problems. I mean, he was rejected by his family. His brother sold him out. We we got all kinds of psychotic, psychological uh, labels for this kid. He shakes all that off and becomes the ruler of the world, because that's what God does. And and I I think we should be bothered when we ourselves or we let we let people in the church we let society in in the what seems to be norm in society, placate people on terms and, and pretty soon, well, they can't do anything because they have this or that. Joseph should have everything, all that stuff. But God endows him with strength. He believes God. God works through him in a foreign culture with a foreign language. And pretty soon he's running the world. It, it is amazing. Second thought, the living God in his greater plans. When you study Egypt, uh, and I had to do a lot of reading this week on this to try to 
get my mind around some of this, what we were dealing with. Egypt by now, by Joseph's time, this is somewhere around 7, 17, early, late 17 in BC, right? So 1710 to 1700 BC when Joseph becomes this leader here. But they're, they're holding the world in, in dominance. I mean, they're, they're a powerhouse. And you think, well, did the Israelites build the pyramids? pyramids, particularly the great pyramids, were built 150 to 200 years before Joseph. These are not dumb people. These are not ancient people that walk around and scratch themselves. You go out there with a bunch of ropes and, you know, and some slaves and etch out a bunch of blocks and build a, a pyramid. These people are brilliant and they're powerful and they know what they're doing. And, and so this is an amazing dynasty that's happening already. This thing is old. It's been around. And they really control a lot of the world's economy. The only thing that rivaled it at the time was uh, the Chinese dynasty. And as we looked up that, we saw that they, they were growing because of their silk industry, which a lot of it was being sold to Egypt. But they were nowhere in comparison to the size and wealth of Egypt. But God is about to place his man in the most powerful country in the most powerful position on earth. And so Joseph will be second command to Pharaoh, but he'll be running the show. Historians tell us today that, that the Egypt of Joseph's era was probably more fertile than it ever was even now. One place I read said that they had up to a thousand square miles of farmed land. I don't know, that's bigger than some of our states. You know what a square mile is like? And a thousand of those without tractors. That's all human and animal labor farming. So when you study the westward movement, um, a family could, could farm 40 acres. That's about the limit you could farm with uh, some oxen or a couple of horses. That's about the limit a family could do. So you start thinking about a thousand square miles and how many families and how many people and how many laborers and how much work and how much oxen and how much it takes to farm all that, put that all under to feed the world grain. It's staggering. I'm trying to give you the immensity of what Joseph's about ready to take under. And among these fertile grounds were these spectacular major cities that were built with, with amazing temples to their gods. There were political states and temples, but they all fell under the control of Pharaoh, and everybody submitted to him completely. But along the way, they had all these gods they worshipped. Pharaoh himself was thought to be a god, but, but they had gods. And uh, I, Gina studied a lot of Egyptian stuff, so she was giving me some of the names of these guys. But they're, they're, they're gods of gods, and, and mother gods, and gods of the living, and gods of the fertile, and gods of the underground, and sun gods and, and gods of vengeance and gods of knowledge and truth. These were, they were permanent with this polytheistic mindset. Now, you say, Scott, why, why, why is this important? Because the 30-year-old Hebrew boy is going to lead all this. <laughs> they, they, these people are worshiping the sun. They worship frogs. They worship the Nile. You know what God's going to do in 400 years, right? And here's this Hebrew boy. God raises up among this powerful, religious, massive nation. Look with me at 46 through 49. When Joseph was 30 years old, when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out of the presence of the Pharaoh and went through all of the land of Egypt. It's like you getting hired by Trump, and he puts you on Air Force One, and he goes... Go fly through the states and bring it all together and all people and we're going to all work together to go save this nation. Let me know how it goes. Don't burn too much fuel. I mean, that's what he's doing. Here's this 30-year-old boy. I mean, he's been in prison half of his time here in Egypt and now he's, he's going throughout. Look at verse 
um, 47, during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundance. Now the narrative's picking up speed, right? And so he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in cities. And he placed in every city the food from, his, from its own surrounding fields. So he's strategically putting food in different places. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until, it stopped, until, he, until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. So Joseph becomes very busy very quickly. He's a very visible leader. And I think for us Westerners, it's a little hard for us to get around um, what life under the king is like. But, but this king had his hand on everything, and now Joseph is the extension of his arm. It is an impressive power God has given Joseph. And the Egyptian, with all of its gods and its pharaoh god, now the true and living God is now showing the superpower how he is going to work through this young Hebrew slave. And it just staggers me what God can do with anyone who submit to him. So Joseph took the power and he did exactly what God instructed him. Now I want to think about that. Joseph took the power and did exactly what God asked him to do. Abuse of power is such a problem, isn't it? And it's not only in the political world, it's in the church world, it's everywhere. Very few people handle power and authority well. They usually try to work it out for their own benefit. But Joseph was dedicated to the word of God. And the results was countless people were saved from famine. And all this, all this, all this is being prepared, as Genesis chapter 46 verse 27 says, for 70 people to come into the land. Now, benefits unbelievable for nations that were around Egypt, for the nation of Egypt itself, but it's being prepared for these 70 people in amongst is a son of Jacob named Judah. Within his seed is the line of Christ. (laughs) All this is being prepared to protect Christ so he'll come into the world and be our savior. Now, I stand amazed at that. And, and I think what, what we learn as we read the Bible is we don't come away with superhero stories. Yes, David is an amazing servant of the Lord, but there's no way Goliath wins. No way. Why? See, the Christ is in David. Greater purpose. This is biblical theology. There's no way Daniel dies in the lion's den because he's going to proclaim the truth of the Son of Man who's going to come and set us free. There's no way Joseph dies in the dungeon because he's going to be the one who's going to rescue the nation, provide food for the 70 who will come in and live in the land of Goshen that the the seed of Christ will go through. And when you learn to study your Bible of the line of Christ, the redemptive plan of God working its way to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes alive. And we no longer keep teaching moralistic stories. I love the song growing up, Dare to be a Daniel, but it lacks the teaching. The goal was Daniel's, don't sing about me. Sing about the one that I prophesied who would come. And so we learn to look at it this way. And so fun to read this stuff because you go, wow. And, and then just practical reason, think, think through this. If you're going through a struggle and you feel like God does not understand what you're going through, uh, this has to help you, doesn't it? I mean, this guy, nothing's turning out the way he would have thought, and now he's second in command. God understands. He's watching. He knows what you're going through. He sees the injustices. He keeps records of those. Revelation chapter 20, I was just reading it this week. When he opens the book, he will judge the dead from their deeds. He records all that those who have not had their sins forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will judge them according to their deeds. There wasn't one thing that happened to Joseph that all of those people will not be judged for if they don't come to faith in Christ. And so I hope that this encourages you and say that, Lord, I'm going through this, but I know you know. I'm going to keep crying out to you. I'm going to keep trusting you. Hold me in that space. I think this is exactly what Joseph did. I think Daniel did it um, as well. And, And just real quickly before I move on here, Joseph and Daniel are these incredible men. They're a bunch of nobodies. Remember Daniel's taken 
He's taken in the first wave as Babylon takes Jerusalem. As Jerusalem falls, he's probably his parents and others were probably killed. They took those young men, swooped them out, took them back to Babylon, and Daniel ends up in the king's court. And he excels out of everyone else. He too is able to figure out stuff that nobody else can figure out. God gives him the interpretation of things. And he is rescued and soon is, is second in command in a sense as he advises the kings in Babylon. And he doesn't do one regime. He does three. Three regimes throughout Babylon. And Joseph does the same. And so um, integrity and faith in God goes a long ways. And I, and I would say this, is, and I think this church understands these, that we need people who are faithful to worship God, faithful to serve God without compromise. And we need them in our government. We need them in businesses. We need them certainly in the church. We need them in law enforcement. We need men and women who will not compromise but lovingly stand for what is right. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, people groan. (laughs) What a great verse. (laughs) When the righteousness increases, the people rejoice. And, and you go, well, Scott, what are we going to do? I mean, it's our, our, our country's turning away from biblical truth. Well, what about your world? Is righteousness increasing not to gain the favor of God? If you're a child of God, you already have that. You already have all of the favor of God. But if righteousness increases in our homes and in our church and our relationships, don't that bring joy to us, at least in the immediate context? Shouldn't Riverbend be this great, joyful place? I, I, I think it is. I think it can be more joyful. Because there's so many people here who desire to live according to God's standards. Because, not because we have to, but because we get to. And I think the people rejoice because of that. And, and I watch so many churches right now who are compromising. They're compromising on basic principles, God says. And they're going to lose their joy. Let's stand for what God says. I know it isn't popular, but these men, when you study these, they remind you, hey, let's stand firm. Three, God's, God rewards Joseph with children and completes the 12 tribes of Israel. Just real quick, verse 50 through 52. Now, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, Uh, bore to him. Joseph named the first one Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. And he named the second one Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in a land of my affliction. Wow, isn't that incredible how that's just written out there? And so this marriage to this Athena um, produces these two children, and particularly these two boys that we know of that the Bible just tells us, and it's Manasseh and Ephraim. These are, these are going to be the half-tribes. They're going to complete the 12 tribes of Israel here. Um, and these boys, uh, they, they're, they're going to grow up, and they're going to be tribe nations of Israel. And isn't it interesting? He names the first one Manasseh, and I think he names it because of his new life. He's, he's had to forget all that he had. And that means, you know, he had a dream, and maybe he's not put this all together at this point, that, that he was going to rule and his family was bowing before him. Remember those dreams that he had, and the brothers were all mad at him over. Um, he had to put all that behind him. He had to follow what God had for him. And he had to forget. And so he names this child forget. And maybe he had to forget some of the experiences he had in Egypt, right? He was accused of rape, put in prison, and so forth. And maybe he just said, you know what? My life in Canaan, my home, where God raised me, where I was birthed there, and where I shepherded my father's flocks, he may have had to say, that's not what you have for me. And he had to walk away from what God had for him. And I know that's hard. And missionaries do this all the time. You, they pick up stakes and they say, look, we're, we're heading for Brazil. We're heading for Egypt. We're heading for, um, you know, wherever, Latin countries or Philippines and all the missionaries. You think about all the missionaries that we support around the world. They have to let that go. And, and so I think he's just saying, look, I, I'm good with what God is doing. The Ephraim, the second son, is named for the blessing God had bestowed on him. And he calls, his name is, is the Hebrew means doubly fruitful. I think Joseph's just stressing the gratitude he has to God's kindness and provision. 
Um, later, you, you remember, and we'll see this in 48, Jacob goes to bless these two boys and he switches hands. He does the exact same thing that Isaac did to him. And remember, Joseph goes, no, 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 no. Manasseh is the older one. He goes, I know. <laughs> and it's true, and we'll see this as we go on. Ephraim does become a more powerful tribe than Manasseh. Um, number four, the, ble- uh, the years of blessing and famine, 53 through 57. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was a famine in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when, so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. There's a lot of points here. I want, we're going to come back over, but there's, there's, Joseph knows exactly what he's doing and the timing of it. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and the Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, you shall do. And wouldn't you love to have a guy like that? How many of you own a, well, don't raise your hand, but you have business. Wouldn't you love to have a Joseph running your business for you? It's hard to find these guys. You got to babysit half of them. You know, they just don't have any ambition. <laughs> he goes, ah, whatever that guy says, do. Right? Verse 56, and when the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. So Joseph holds the course during this years of plenty, and I think this is such an important point. When the economy is good, people run their credit up. It's known. I mean, you, just, you study, you, know, you just have to read some of the stuff that's going on out there. But not Joseph. Joseph holds the line because God has told him this is what is going to happen. And I love it. When you have God's word, we should say, well, this is God's word. This is what we're going to do. Well, what about, what about this? No, God's word says to do this. And so I think that's what Joseph does. He holds the line during these years of plenty. I think most people wouldn't have done it. Well, do we really need to collect that much? Or can we, can we take some extra and go do this? <laughs> no, no. This is, this is what God has said. And so he holds the line and he believes God's word over feelings and, and emotions and all the things that I'm sure uh, got pushed on Joseph. Um, and so Joseph knew that the coming disaster was on its way and that the rest of the world's population would be coming to him. He, he understands this and, and he understands they're probably oblivious to what he's doing. Good leadership knows where they're going despite what those who are following them often understand. That's good leadership. And that should, be, that should obviously be in the church because um, men who spend their life in the word of God studying, even though there's you know, some of this sometimes, guys should hold. I, I'm going to keep preaching the word. There's always pressure on pastors and elders uh, to do different things. They've got to hold the ground. Uh, but that's where men also are successful in business. And women, they hold the ground. They know, their, they know what their philosophy is. If you're trying to start a ministry in our church, one of the things we say, write us a philosophy of ministry. It has to be a biblical philosophy of ministry. You know why we have you do that? Because when you drift off, we can go, well, my ministry fell apart. Nobody comes. Well, let's look at your philosophy of ministry. Well, look here, you turned, you went off, you decided that you were, you were more emotionally caught up or stay the course. So we help people stay the course because the Bible gives us how to, how to do things. And so, so we work hard on that. Now, whatever caused this famine, the Bible doesn't say, just probably lack of rain, um, it's spread over all the face of the earth, verse 56, notice that. So everybody on the earth is affected by this famine. We, we, I don't think there's anything like it recorded in history. This is probably the most severe famine ever recorded that hits the entire world. Al Gore would just be having a heyday. He'd be selling light bulbs and all kinds of stuff. Um, God was behind all of this, and he was executing this plan perfectly. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1 where he, he's talking about our salvation and particularly that he's predetermined our future. But in verse 11 he says this, Speaking about God, who works all things after the counsel of his will. I love that phrase. And certainly in the context of Ephesians 1, it's talking about our salvation. But he works all things in the counsel of his will. So he brings this famine upon the entire world to bring Judah into the middle of the land of Goshen because that's the seat of Christ. We, would, we don't think that way. <laughs> 
And remember this, in Genesis 15, 13, which is now 200 years ago, God told Abraham that they would be in a land, they would be strangers in the land, and they would be there for 400 years. And here's Joseph setting everything up, setting it all up. And Joseph was, was whom God chose. He, he chose to oversee his will and, then, and protect this tiny little budding nation. Five, and, and I just kind of put down some thoughts as I studied on this because I think it's fascinating from a business model what this guy did. God led Joseph to do this. So God through a masterpiece, I, I, number five here, God, um, a masterpiece of God's design governmental authority. So God through Joseph executed a food uh, distribution um, through the government that is just a model and it transcends time and it's it's got flat taxes in it and all kinds of things when you kind of look at what he did and as we read that scripture there's things that are happening that joseph is not reacting till certain things happen till they cry out he doesn't give he doesn't well you know there's some people really struggling let's open up the storehouses no he waits he's waiting on god's timing on each of these things so there's this strategic stockpiling um, were developed and they're stored throughout this massive nation. So he's, he's figured out where to put all this food so he can best feed the nation of Egypt and all the other nations as well. He also, so, um, he's, he, all the supplies were attained lawfully and fairly. Everything he did was above board. He didn't cheat anybody. He didn't hammer the rich and, and give to the poor. I mean, he, he handles everything above board. Very done lawfully in fair, in fair means. Um, no one was taken advantage of, whether rich or poor, during this time of prosperity. It's a flat tax. However, when the economy falls during the time of the famine, the government was in now a position to help the entire population with a surplus uh, of grain that they had stored over these years of blessing. If anything, this passage demonstrates a, a, a governmental responsibility at its best, right? So, so God does this through this godly young man. He's at the helm of all this. And so I wrote down just a couple of thoughts of what he does. So, so here Joseph does this. The supply was withheld till the need was real. This is good counsel for all of us. Um, Sometimes people overreact. I know our deacons work with this as we try to help those in need here. You, you want to sit down with them, you know, help them work through. Maybe they've made some poor decisions, help them that. There's a, there's a process through this. So one of the things Joseph does, as you see in these last few verses of 41, is he holds everything back till the need's real. You want to create a welfare state? Help someone who doesn't need to be helped. <laughs> You've got all kinds of problems. I think that's where we're at. <laughs> Am I right? Nothing was given away for free, but was sold at a fair price. Now, isn't that something remarkable? Give a man a pole or something and fishes, or however that saying goes. We don't do that. Europe has not done that. I mean, it, it, nations are crumbling here on this planet now because we don't, we give everything away. And, and, and Joseph doesn't do that. Nothing's given away for free, but all things are sold at a fair price. Industry was encouraged. Idleness and laziness was not. It's encouraged. I mean, man, I, you, you got to think about the plenty years. He's going around saying, we're taking 20% of all of your farms. Well, why? That's not fair. Trust me. And I have the ring. <laughs> and, and he goes around and, and industry's booming and, and, and I think I said this last week doubtlessly God showered the nation of Egypt with rain and, and growth in their crops I mean they must have had bumper crops because he said he put up so much grain he stopped measuring it because he couldn't that's amazing I put up a lot of hay in my life but I could always tell you how much was out there Tina, how much hay you got? I got 400 tons in this year. That'll take us through, you know, the last snowstorms of maybe 1st of May. He, he can't even measure it. He gives strict control. Strict control was maintained over the supply of goods to prevent looting and waste. He's got them guarded. You saw that in the head pass. He says they guarded it. Those in genuine poverty were likely used to dis 
to, to, dispute, um, to distribute the, uh, all the grain, and they worked and they earned what they consumed. Doubtlessly, that's what he did. In, income from the sale was, was used to provide for the necessary national functions so, so that armies were, were still on guard and, and, and things functioned and, and there was law and government and those things that had to happen. The population was able to get by on less during the difficult years. Anybody ever got by less at times in your life? All of us. Boy, those are some lean years. Do you know how often we'll talk about that? Because, you know, boys don't always see that. Your kids don't always see back when you were going, hmm, there is really nothing to eat, and we're not sure how that's going to happen. Some of our first years in the mission field out in the California Nevada Desert, I mean, there were just times where, all right, Lord, um, you're going to have to bring some food in here because we don't have any money. But people, you learn to live lean, right? Potatoes go a lot farther, and I think that's probably what happened. And then this flat tax of 20%, you, you saw that back in verse uh, 34. He exacts a fifth of the produce of the land. So there's this flat tax charged during the years of plenty. And, and think about this. This 20% charge was sufficient to feed the nation supply the needs of the surrounding nations and the people groups that came to him. For seven years, he put a flat tax on everybody, whether you owned 100 acres or one, he put a flat tax of 20% on it and putting it all away, taking care of it, not giving it out to people for freebies, handling it right, it covered the world's food for seven years. That's good stewardship is what that is. And the word of God never is lacking truth. And so we look at these things and we say, God, I need to manage my life a little more. And I think Joseph's a good lesson for those things. It records in detail Joseph's God-given plan for the government. And, and it isn't hard to study this. And I actually had never taught through 41 completely. And so this is coming out of this new study of looking through this. And, and when I looked at this and I thought about this, I think I've said this earlier, this is probably the greatest depression the world has ever seen. I mean, we had a depression in the, tw- uh, in the 20s, right? Lasted a couple of years. It was really hard on our country. This is seven years and affects the entire world. And they come through it. Nobody starves to death. And so he handles this amazing... Uh, we're out of time, but... We'll hit this a little bit later, but if you want to read, there's a condensed version in the Bible because Joseph go back and rehearses what happened to his, as he's speaking to his brothers and his family. Chapter 47, verse 13 through 26, he condenses, and that's a lot of where this information is coming, of exactly what he did. And so here, he, there he gives the testimony of how the amounts of the surplus were stored up, how he handled it during prosper, prosperous times and difficult times, and the result was the nation... Um, was stewarded properly, it consumed the right amount, and they made it through this depression. And, and just think about a few more things. Other nations and people purchased grain for money. So they came and they brought their money and purchased grain. And when the money ran out, they traded their livestock. And when the livestock was gone, they traded land. And when land was gone, they, they took employment, right? They, they became in slavery in some cases, but more of an employment type was granted to them. And this taxation was still at 20%. It never changes all the way through that. And you're going, are you a flat tax guy? Well, I am now. <laughs> you know, and of course, we'll never get that done in this country where it is now. But, but you think about this. This taxation was still there on, on all the gross national product of this nation and they only took 20%, and it lasted not only to feed their nation, but fed the world. And in closing, you end up where Joseph says, look, all these things that happened, some of you meant this for evil. He tells his brothers when they're afraid at the end that he's going to off their heads. He says, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And even this situation, God gave him the wisdom, gave him the understanding, gave him interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, and caused him to trust in God in a great way. And in the end, people were saved. Not, not salvation in Christ. We're not talking about that. We're talking about saved. They, were, they didn't starve to death, and particularly the nation of Israel. So it's, it's an interesting study, isn't that? And a lot of you business guys in here, I mean, and gals, you got thinking about some of this. You go, wow, if we could just get back to some of that. 
But we're in trouble, aren't we, as a nation? We, we have a whole group that doesn't want to work. And they want money. And, and so what do you do? And who's really poor and who isn't? Well, in the church, we have to figure that out. Because God gives us limited funds, and we, but we want to care for people. And, help, and, we, and if you're in need, we want to know about it and we want to help you. We really do. But yet there's such good stewardship with men, our deacons particularly, who sit down, know God's word, and work with people to help them understand, okay, we want to help you, but here's some things we, can, we see that maybe you could do a little better stewardship so you can, you can make it. And uh, so we learn from these things. This is good stuff, isn't it? Chapter 42, he starts messing with his brothers. We'll see that next week, all right? Father, thank you for this time in the word. Thank you for giving us our electricity back and our air conditioning. <laughs> We're very spoiled, Lord. Um, but we do thank you for the word of God. We thank you for illustrations and teachings that are recorded for us of men like Joseph. And Lord, we, we do admire him. We see him non, not compromising. We see him being a tool for you and used for you. But ultimate, Lord, let, may we not miss the sight of all of this. This was for the protection of the seed of Christ. And certainly Satan would have loved to kill the line of Christ, over and over and over. But God, you are protecting him. And in this case, Satan would have loved to see him starve to death. And yet, he sent, his son, he sent uh, Jacob's son, Joseph, out ahead in very difficult circumstances to provide for this family in whom the line of Christ was in. And so, Lord, we thank you that Jesus was unstoppable. You did provide all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament, Jesus came to the cross. And even in his life, Lord, as we studied in the book of Mark, he would say, it's not my hour, it's not my hour. But then there was a day, he turned to his disciples and he said, my hour has come. And all of redemptive history, from Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way through the Josephs and Davids and Daniels and Hannahs and, and Ruths and all of the patriarchs who love the Lord, who were part of that process of coming through, all compliments as our Lord makes his way up Golgotha, hangs on a cross and is judged for our sins. So Lord, may we never lose sight of that as we study the scriptures. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can believe it, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that is struggling, Lord, that you would meet their needs and they would be, feel welcome to make those known and be teachable and receive counsel. And Lord, we can help them, Lord. So thank you for our church that does help people. Many people have been cared for by many people in this building. And so we, we thank you for that opportunity. May we be good stewards of the things you give us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're smith. See you. See you Sunday.